Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And on today's episode, we're going to take a look at the unbuilt Disney's Riverfront Square, a park that was going to go into St. Louis, uh, and kind of some of the reasons why it wasn't built. But then also, as is with all Disney things, nothing ever truly dies. <laughs> so there was a lot of ideas for that park that ended they up making it percolating early. Yes. I just really wanted to say percolating. Sorry for interrupting you. It's okay. <laughs> but but some of the ideas for attractions in that park ultimately made it into other attractions yes. in the park. So we did get some of that. So we're going to take a look at that uh, history today. Kind of exciting. It's always exciting to look at what Disney didn't do. Mm-hmm. Because again, like like I said, I mean, if you look at Disney's history... Most of their attractions that they built started as an attraction that did not get built somewhere else. Right. I mean, success is built on the backs of failure. I don't know if I made that up, wow. but that sounded real good. That was that was a uh, some wise words of wisdom there. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I picked that up somewhere. I didn't and, uh, make that up. <laughs> yeah, that that's good. No, I like that. I like that. All right. Let's get into the Disney news of the week though first. So for DVC members, uh maybe familiar at the top of the contemporary, the Top of the World Lounge. Uh, that was closed due to a retheming. It's now villains themed, so it is reopening. It is going to be called Top of the World Lounge, a villains layer. And as part of the reopening, Disney is offering a hard ticketed reservation to DVC members. So between uh, July 11th and August 11th, DVC members uh, can take part in this. It's $55 a person. It includes a, a cocktail, an appetizer, and a treat from the lounge's new menu. Uh, regular DVC members can also just go to the lounge as normal uh, as you would, and that's just kind of by availability. But if you want to have a guaranteed spot, if you want to have a table, see the fireworks, it's $55. So it's exciting that the, it's reopened. It's villains themed. I'm not sure you know, what that means necessarily. I think it's probably going to be more on the menu items and things. I don't think you're going to have like Jafar walking around there. <laughs> that would be cool. Um, or Ursula with all of her tentacles. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you're going to have, have that, but I mean, it seems odd that they made it, you know, villains themed because again, I don't know that's going to tie into anything, you know, too particularly, um, but it's nice that this is open. I know it's a nice benefit, you know, for DVC members uh, to be at that top of the world lounge. You have a good view of the fireworks. It's a nice place to kind of get a drink uh, and a dessert. I think it's really expensive. I think that, you know, $55 is just how much it is base level and that's not even like your gratuities and stuff. But I think that it would be a cool thing to do. I was looking at the drink menu and I thought that the drinks seemed, I don't know, they I didn't think that any of them seemed particularly super fruity. Nothing really seemed like it was up my alley. For a cocktail appetizer and a drink, I guess that's not a horrible price because you're probably going to pay, what, $15 for each of those things a piece. So that's like $45 plus you have guaranteed viewing for the fireworks show okay i'm changing my mind on this i'm, I'm around in a corner maybe this would be kind of cool i'd like to try it we're not going down there but i'd like to try it yeah, it's only a month seems like it's something they're testing out i'm sure if it does well it will continue um, but again this is something that's specific for dvc members anyway so it's already kind of an exclusive lounge area so i doubt they're going to want to nickel and dime dvc members too much so i think this is almost hey you can be one of the first people to have a, a nice table uh, and you know partake in the new menu, but then after that, it'll probably go back to just normal you know reservations. And like you said, I mean, you're probably going to end up spending way more than fifty five dollars anyways with a few drinks, yeah, and a couple desserts. 
All right, so moving on to the Magic Kingdom, Disney has made some updates to the final scene in the Carousel of Progress. So the family uh, has some new clothes. They've kind of modernized them and, and brought them in a little bit more to the 21st century. Uh, so, you know, minor changes overall to the attraction, but everybody basically has a new outfit. Uh, I know the son has like some bright green shoes now. Oh my. Uh, you know, the dad has like Fun. a Christmas sweater, Christmas apron on. So everybody's a little bit updated, just a nice little refresh. Uh, so I think it's it's good. I love the Carousel Progress. I know, Angela, you're not a huge fan. I'm a fan of it if I'm tired. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you like to sleep on it. You're not I mean, a huge fan of the attraction in general. But Historically, I, I think, it's cool. I think it's, it's good though that Disney... Even though it's a small refresh, it's at least a step forward that Disney understands, hey, this attraction exists. They know it exists. They they know that it is there, and they're giving some attention to it, which I think is good. So uh, it, it's minor, but it is nice to see some updates to this new, uh, final scene here. Right. And as a nice little you know connection to our main topic, they were actually talking about putting the Carousel of Progress in Riverfront Square, potentially updating it. So I don't know if I put that in the notes but hey now you know it because i read it somewhere well that's a good segue so yeah let's jump into our main topic this week so it is on disney's riverfront square which is an unbuilt park that was going to go into st louis so it was planned uh, to be entirely indoors which is interesting because it would be a completely indoor theme park uh, within st louis and it was going to be about two blocks north of where uh, the old Bush Stadium uh, stood. They were actually undergoing renovations themselves there. And this was actually in a time, mm -hmm. uh, it was after Disneyland, and it was in a time where St. Louis was undergoing a revitalization. So they were doing renovations to Bush Stadium. They were trying to update the city center, and this is kind of why they were looking for you know some big attraction. So it was actually for St. Louis's bicentennial. And originally, it kind of the idea started to form when... They approached Walt Disney with a circle vision idea for their mall. And then I think it just kind of blossomed and developed from there into more of a full-fledged like, hey, let's put this down and make it actually like a theme park for the people to go to. So, and I think, I mean, this is kind of me speculating here. I'm sure that Disney was flattered. He was originally like lived in Marceline, Missouri for a while. So maybe he wanted to bring his theme park close to home. And, you know, we know that Main Street was modeled off of like his hometown. So, you know, it, it is a nice tie back to where he's from and to his roots. So I'm sure he really wanted to kind of do that project. Yeah. And what's interesting, you know, in this time period, so this is in the 60s, uh, kind of the early 60s that all this is going down. You know, so Disneyland opened in 1955. It was you know, this whole thing basically inventing the theme park, something nobody's ever seen before. And after that, you know, the discussion was, okay, what's Walt going to do next? Where's yeah. the next theme park going to be? You know, what is going to be the next thing he does? And Walt, you know, kind of publicly stated he didn't have an intention for another theme park. I, and, you know, to an extent, I think that was true. But to an yeah. extent, I don't think it was true because obviously we know they were working on Florida eventually. And, and you know, this came up in St. Louis. But... You know, Walt's next vision really was past theme parks. He was always thinking of kind of the next big thing, and he wanted to build Epcot, an actual city and a, and a community. So I think from that perspective and in his mind, uh, you know, in that way, he really probably didn't have an intention for another theme park. He was looking bigger than that. He was looking at city planning and actually building an actual community. But also, I think in the back of his mind, he probably was <laughs> looking at theme parks again. So yeah, whenever, you know, the mayor of St. Louis came, you know, and asking about the circle vision and everything, it, it kind of ballooned. And I think, it, you know, Walt was like, well, why don't we build a whole theme park? We can do something 
uh, you know, really special here instead of just like, oh, one, you know, attraction in a mall. Right. I, I think that Walt, I, I mean, I, you know, I haven't read as many books about Walt as you have or anything, but I do get the impression that he kind of understands, you know, that the modern family didn't have a lot of money, potentially couldn't p- travel to Disneyland. And so he kind of wanted to make his experience available to more people. I know in some of the things that I read, it even talked about, he was looking at other cities like Houston, Texas to even build something there. So he wanted to kind of place little Disney properties all around the United States so that more people I think had access to it. Um, And particularly he, I think seemed to maybe eventually really enjoy the idea because St. Louis really wanted it to the park that he was going to build to kind of focus on their history, um, not really, you know, be like this big thing where Disney brings in his auto uh, animatronics and does all of his, you know, animation stuff. But they wanted to actually focus on where did we come from? They wanted they were they were looking at making rides about the Louisiana Purchase and stuff. So, yeah, and, and it's interesting again because you know he, he's publicly stating he has no intentions for you know another park. But some of the reasons why this park didn't move forward is because they were developing another park somewhere else because they were on to Florida, you know, at that point um, by the time this project died. And this actually, I mean, for Disney, it actually had a pretty short life cycle. So, you know, it was in March of 1963 that Walt met with the mayor of St. Louis and they announced plans for this riverfront area and for this park. And it was going to be, like we said, completely indoors. It was going to be a five-story building that was going to take up two uh, square blocks. So it was, it was going to be massive. But by July of 1965, they had already said the project was dead, which is pretty quick mm-hmm. because if, if you listen to our episode on the, the ski resort that Disney was planning on building, that was in development and out of development for decades. Yeah. I mean, it, it took them... I think it was like 20 years, if I remember yeah, right. Yeah, it, it took them decades to formally announce the project was dead. So, you know, and, and Disney World was, was obviously a long development. Disneyland was a long development. So to be, you know, a little over two years from announcing it to be like, no, this project's done, is actually a pretty quick turnaround. So another structural thing, which I thought was really cool, getting back to, you know, what the building was like, as I thought that they were going to have a large atrium in it that would stretch five stories high. uh, And then they'd have lighting in there to simulate the weather and time of day. So kind of reminds me of some of the hotels and um, shopping areas in Vegas, how they have the sky. But I don't think that that necessarily changes depending on time of day. Maybe it does. I don't know. We haven't been there in a while. But I think that that sounded really interesting. And another really interesting thing that they were going to do is that their entrance was going to be, depending on what side you're looking at, modeled after different places. So if you are looking at one side, it was like Main Street USA, and it's based on the old St. Louis. And if you look at the other side, it's based on old New Orleans. So kind of a really interesting idea that it's not, they're not necessarily connected. Um, They're two separate things, but they were trying to, again, kind of pay homage to their history and the history of the area in general. Yeah. And because this was a building and it was indoors, it did have a unique layout. So Disneyland kind of invented the hub and spoke design. You have Mm -hmm. your central hub, you have the castle in the middle that draws your attention back to the center and all of the different routes off of that. The Magic Kingdom followed that. All the Disneyland parks kind of follow that. And for the most part, Disney parks do follow that design. There's some that that don't really like Hollywood Studios kind of does, but the layout of it, it's not a full hub and spoke. Um, But with with the riverfront, it, it didn't follow that. So there's actually 
if you Google it, there is concept art and blueprints of the layout. I mean, they, they got that far before they canceled this of actually mm-hmm. what it was going to look like to build. And it, it's almost it's almost like a half hub and spoke. So it's not it's not in the traditional sense that you, that you think of it. Um, but you could, I guess, if you squint, kind of think of it as like a half wheel. <laughs> but to your point, it, it was these two separate streets and it was almost divided in like two halves. If you come in, you had, you know, the one street and then there's kind of half of the park over there with different rides and attractions, and then the other street. So to your point, it wasn't one central main street that kind of branched off. It was, you know, kind of two halves basically. And there was, you know, a central piece that you could cross, but it very much seemed like it was divided in in two halves of the park, which which was interesting because it it was a departure from what they did with Disneyland. But I definitely, you know, recommend if you want to, you're interested in this stuff, definitely Google it and Google the plans because there are pretty detailed drawings of kind of the layout of this park. And it is interesting to see uh, of what they were going for there. So getting into some of the rides and attractions that were kind of developed and talked about for this park. So a lot of these attractions, like you mentioned, were kind of based more on the history and not necessarily, you know, just Disney. It wasn't like, hey, we're bringing Mickey Mouse in, yeah. you know, to St. Louis. It was very much based on kind of the history of St. Louis and the history of the West. So there was a Lewis and Clark uh, adventure ride. There was a ride going to be based on uh, Davy Crockett. There was going to be a Western riverboat ride. There was going to be a Haunted Mansion type ride and a dark ride through the Louisiana Bayou. So a lot of these attractions, um, like you said, like the Haunted Mansion, like they've, they turned into other attractions down the road. So for instance, the, the Bayou boat ride, that later became integrated and kind of transformed into Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, and and it, what I was kind of reading about was that this ride was sort of you were riding through the bayou and then you go down into a waterfall and then you just basically run into pirates, um, which then again, as you mentioned, turned into Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, it's very much like you know you have the Blue Bayou restaurant at the beginning. And, and so like you said, it, it yeah. kind of took that uh, and but then just kind of instead of making it St. Louis themed, made yeah. it more Pirates of the Caribbean themed. Uh, they had a you know haunted house walkthrough, which later became the Haunted Mansion. Mm-hmm. The Haunted Mansion was an attraction that took Disney a while. They they went back and forth between is it a walkthrough, is it an actual ride, is it scary, is it, scary? Is is it, it funny? funny? <laughs> yeah, so so they were planning a haunted house walkthrough. Um, and they, they later kind of incorporated that into the Haunted Mansion. The Western Riverboat ride, uh, ultimately, a lot of that design idea, so not necessarily a, a riverboat, but a lot of that design was incorporated into Big Thunder Mountain Railroad and became part of that like design aesthetic. So there was a lot of attractions that were you know developed uh, for this park that then you know, inspired or turned into other attractions at other parks. Yeah. And my favorite of this, and this isn't a ride that was inspired another ride. This is a ride that was inspired by the Matterhorn. They actually were looking at, um, they had had local caves, Merrimack Caves. And at one point they were looking at making a roller coaster uh, through the caves, kind of like the Matterhorn, which I think would have been really cool. But it reminds me kind of what they did with Expedition Everest, with you going through and you seeing the inside of a cave with the Yeti in it. Um, so yeah, or even I, Big Thunder Mountain. I mean, that's another one I think where yeah, designed, yeah there is some caves yeah. yeah in there too. And now it wasn't going to be completely devoid of Disney. So other some attractions that were at Disneyland that mm-hmm. were rumored for this park was. 
uh, Peter Pan's Flight, Pinocchio's Daring Journey, and Snow White and Her Adventures. So those were all attractions at Disneyland, very popular attractions in Fantasyland that were going to be in this park as well. So it it was a nice mix of kind of classic Disney and history, almost what Disney does well in places like Epcot and some of the parks now where it's that it's that blend of education and entertainment kind of in one. Yeah. Well, my favorite part is there would have an, an aviary. Uh, Joe always really enjoys Least favorite part. going to the aviary when we're at Disney Free or anywhere. birds are terrible. Nope. They're, they're very scary to me. No, they're not scary. I think a lot of people would agree with you, though. Yeah. Free, free flying birds where I'm trapped in with them. Uh, it's not a good time for me. <laughs> I always very much appreciate when you go into the bird rooms with me because you you are visibly shaken. My No, I'm not visibly shaken. My plan is, what I've learned, if I stand incredibly still, I'm like Drax. I've learned to stand <laughs> so incredibly still that I'm invisible. My movements are, are imperceptible to people and birds. So if I, <laughs> I can stand st- so still now that the birds can't see me and so they won't attack me or bother me in any way and I just kind of gently shuffle uh through the aviary exhibit you are out identifying all the birds they're flying around i just stand very very still try not to get pooped on well, can you imagine that's my goal at this since point. i downloaded the seek app you know how next time we oh go to disney i'm just gonna be like pointing and, and shooting at every single bird and trying to say, figure out what they are i'll see you later i'm gonna go get a mickey bar <laughs> just call me when you're done i'll find you <laughs> yeah it's fantastic And then the last part of the layout is the top floor. And the top floor kind of came about as, I mean, not all of the top floor, but some of it came about about as a part of a little bit of a compromise with Walt Disney. Um, One of the things that Disney was pretty adamant about, and I think a lot of people know this, is that he did not want to serve beer at a lot of his you know, establishments because it was a family park and a lot of people, you know, didn't drink. And so he thought, you know, to be all inclusive, I just won't serve beer. But the issue that he was running into is that he was building where Anheuser-Busch was uh, and they were having stadium there. He was kind of like friends with, I think his name was Gussie, or that was his nickname, um, but one of the Bush family members. And so that whole area, they were all serving Anheuser-Busch beer, but he didn't want to serve it. Well, that kind of caused a bit of an issue in the city. Um, people kind of were like, well, what is, is Disney too good for like selling beer? And finally, he kind of came to a compromise. And that was kind of one of the holdups with this. It's a popular rumor that Riverfront Square wasn't built because of beer. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Like that wasn't the true. lack of beer. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. The lack of beer. Because yeah. yeah, actually, uh, Augustus Bush uh, Jr., who ran, uh, you know, Anheuser-Busch at the time, yeah, basically called Disney out publicly um, saying he was crazy thinking that this Disney park could be successful without them selling any sort of alcohol. And yeah, the rumor kind of goes that because of that, you know, Disney was offended. They pulled the plug on the whole thing. I yeah. think it's much more complicated yeah, than that. Yeah, it's very complicated. And we'll get into some of the other reasons and that I think are much more plausible why this park didn't go forward. But yeah, that that is out there. Right, right. So I, I think that, yeah, he wanted, so he wanted to not sell beer throughout the park, but so he just made this compromise that, there was going to be at the top floor a observation floor where there's a restaurant, a banquet hall, and then also a cocktail lounge where only adults could get in. So that way, you know, you can kind of control if you even bring your kids around the alcohol or not. So I think that was kind of a clever idea to kind of make the people happy because there was some weird pressure going on there about alcohol. Um, So he just decided, you know what, fine, I'll do it, but I'm going to do it my way which shows what a good businessman he was. 
Yeah, so the overall, the, this was projected to cost around $40 million, um, which is pretty expensive. They had anticipated about 25,000 visitors per day. That was kind of their initial projections. And that was probably a little bit uh, ambitious because in the first 10 years uh, of Disneyland, there was about 50 million people. So that works out to about 5 million people per year or about uh, 13,700 people per day. So they're actually anticipating this to do more than what Disneyland uh, was doing. And then uh, Walt Disney World, a, a few years after, so it was 1975, so a few years after it opened, it did 12 million guests that year, which was about 33,700 guests per day. So a little less than kind of what Disney World did a few years after its opening. So I think pretty aggressive visitor numbers for this park because, again, mm -hmm. the Magic Kingdom is a large park. It's right. open all year round. Florida has much better weather. California has much better weather. This was going to be, I mean, as big as it was, a five-story building that took up, you know, two blocks. That's a big building, but yeah. it's not as big as these parks. St. Louis isn't, you know, nice necessarily all year round. It, you know, there is winter. It does get colder. You're probably going to be limited to how many people are going to be traveling there. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, I could see locals going here, um, but then people aren't going to want to travel there because you know it's chillier and not to mention I, I do think that one of the things that made this probably difficult and why you know eventually it probably failed is because it was so steeped in st louis culture um i do think that eventually i'm you know i didn't read this anywhere but probably they eventually thought maybe people won't be as interested in in this because there's a lot of historical parts to this but it's, it's I mean, some of it's, you know, significant to the nation, like the Louisiana Purchase, but some of it was more local legends and lores and stuff. And so I, I don't know. I don't I think that the, the numbers weren't quite there for it. And that's part of the reason why there was financial issues with the park, which we're going to talk about. No, I completely agree. And I actually think, you know, if this park would have opened, this would have been ultimately probably a failure and and one of the few if maybe only times disney failed at theme parks i mean when they opened disneyland paris euro disney that didn't take off very well they kind of turned that around same with disney california adventure i think the initial iteration of that park could be seen as a failure and they spent you know a billion dollars redoing that but with this the problem I think that you would run into is that you are limited to the size of that building because it's indoors yeah. if you ever wanted to expand you now have to build a new building. You have to make the building bigger, and you're also kind of in the heart of downtown St. Louis, so you don't have a ton of space. And then anytime you want to do anything, you're, you're working inside a building. So it's going to make it harder to change out attractions or expand that I think after time, there's not a lot of repeatability with this. Right. And you stumbled on a really good point that kind of leads into why this park wasn't eventually built. And it is in the middle of a city. So because it's in the middle of a city, the cost per like square foot was pretty high. And I know that one of the things that Disney was looking at was, okay, well, can St. Louis subsidize the land for us or something so that we can get this at a cheaper price? Because the cost of it was was just such that it was kind of prohibit prohibitive. And so um, Disney ultimately kind of ended up demanding that the city pay for the project. They wanted, you know, either the shell of the building paid for, they wanted the construction costs cleared and a hundred, but then Disney wanted a hundred percent of the profits and didn't really sound very appealing to the city which i think is interesting because if you think about it in the long run for st louis um you know if the park had succeeded it would have probably paid for itself because you think about it disney wasn't talking about building hotels there um 
it just sounded like it was a building that was going to have a lot of attractions in it. So there is quite a lot to kind of think about there because if you do some crazy math, so I, I was, you know, doing some wild math on this and I kind of looked up, you know, about how much in one year does a Disney hotel make. So I kind of picked pop century, which has the average cost of $203 a night because I couldn't find like any figures for, you know, the average cost or the average um, income of a Disney hotel. So it has, it's $203 a night, which fluctuates depending on time of year. There are 2,880 rooms. So let's say 2,000 of those rooms are booked every day. Um, So that leaves 880 open. And then not counting for all the costs associated with running the hotel, it would roughly make $148 million. That's a lot of money to bring into the city that Disney wouldn't necessarily like they wouldn't be putting that in their pockets because they aren't Disney hotels. Um, so if people were coming in that were outsiders, at least um, and not living in Saint, the St. Louis area, they could be bringing in a lot of money to the city potentially. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about why the park ultimately didn't get built. And, and that is, I think what you just brought up a big reason where Disney essentially didn't want to pay for it. And they wanted, the city of St. Louis to foot the bill for this, but they basically wanted them to pay for it and then dis- Disney to kind of operate it and make all the profits from it. And I think where, where you're where you're going at and probably what Disney's rationale for that was is sure you're gonna pay, you know, this forty million plus construction up front, cost yeah. up front. We're gonna, you know, operate, manage it, and make all the profits from it, but you're gonna get tax revenue you're going to get mm-hmm. you know hotel room you know tax revenue you're going to get a lot more visitors in your city at the restaurants you know yeah. s- stimulating kind of tourism exactly. in much of this in much of the way that i think disney sold florida on we're going to build this giant theme park here and we're going to make this a vacation destination and now orlando is basically tied <laughs> it's on the to, map yeah. yeah and it's tied to the tourism economy i mean they basically yeah. took swamp land in the middle of central florida that nobody was using was basically unusable and they turned it into a tourist destination and now orlando's economy is driven by tourism with you know hotels and and tax revenue from ticket sales and hotel stays and everything like that i think that was kind of disney's probably point that Hey, yeah, it's a lot of money up front, but you're going to get an economic mm-hmm. benefit from it. But that is a huge. It is a big risk. It's, it's a huge amount of money because yeah, I mean, forty million dollars now for a city probably seems rather small. I mean, I'm sure you know, especially when you know cities help subsidize uh, you know sports stadiums and things. I mean, they're building billion dollar stadiums now. Forty million dollars isn't a lot, but forty million dollars in the '60s is quite a big, you know, chunk of money. So I think that, you know, as as we kind of mentioned earlier, there's there's that kind of rumor out there that the whole thing fell apart because Disney didn't want to sell beer. But, you know, I think it was the economics of it was a, a big sticking point for it. And I think Disney, and, and I don't know this for sure, but, you know, if I'm running the Walt Disney Company and, you know, St. Louis wants me to build this park and you know, getting into some of the other things that they had going on. I don't think probably the heart of the company and probably Walt's heart was really in this fully. And so yeah. I think that's probably why they were like, well, we'll do this if you just pay for the whole thing, you know? And it wasn't like they were probably really committed to it because at the same time, 
they had the 1964 New York's World Fair, which was a huge focus for Disney and the company because Mm -hmm. they had sponsors. So they had people sponsoring them and giving them money to then basically build new technology that they could use in a theme park. So it was, again, somebody else's dime helping to fund Mm -hmm. R&D and development. And they were also starting to look at what we just talked about, Orlando, the Florida project. And they were starting to look at Florida as the next destination for a Disney theme park and for Epcot. And so I think, you know, probably Disney and and the company as a whole were like, we have these other projects which are much more valuable to the company, much more interesting to us that sure, we can do this thing in St. Louis, but we're going to make it that it's super beneficial to us. We're not going to really we're not going to put a lot into this if the city you know, wants to help out and they really want it, sure. But we have all this other stuff going on that we feel is more deserving of our attention anyway. So if it's not going to work out, it's not going to work out. Yeah, it just, I mean, you know, they were moving in two different directions and it just didn't, yeah, it didn't pan out. So the place where the current or where the Disney park was slated to kind of go is the location now for the Gateway Arch. The Gateway Arch is on there and also Bush Stadium too, which is no longer there. Um, It was uh, there until 2005 and was home of the Cardinals. So they did obviously repurpose that land. They didn't just leave it vacant because Disney didn't take it. And that's kind of what was more recently built there. I would be interested to see because I don't think I, I meant to look it up, but what's there now where the old stadium was probably parking. (laughs) Yeah. And I, and I think that's why, you know, because of all of these things and, and St. Louis, I think was moving quickly for their bicentennial. I think that's why, again, you see within two years, the project is kind of officially dead because again, you had the world's fair, you had Florida, you had a lot of other things going on. St. Louis wanted to move forward with something. So once they kind of realized that wasn't going to work, I think they kind of had to quickly say, hey, we got to just you know pass this and move forward. I'm kind of surprised they didn't maybe try to go back to their original idea of doing like a Circle Vision attraction at the mall or something mm-hmm. small. They were working on the World's Fair. Those were kind of small attractions you know, that they were building. Yeah. They had the Carousel Progress, which we talked about in the news, was yeah. built for the 1964 World's Fair. Some of the, uh, you know, some other attractions were built there. They could have, I think, very easily done a, a small attraction or something in St. Louis. But I think probably at that point, both sides were kind of just over it. Yeah. They were kind of like, hey, this isn't going to work out. We're just going to move on. So over it. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> just going to kind of move on from it. But I, I do think it's interesting that that nothing happened um because i could have seen that of just yeah something small but maybe not to the scale uh, that they were going to go to but again a lot of stuff the a lot of the ideas that were started for this park ultimately lived on in other parks and even the idea of an indoor theme park lived on ultimately you know disney built disney quest uh down in downtown disney disney springs area uh in orlando which Again, wasn't maybe necessarily a full theme park, but it was kind of this idea of we're going to have this indoor multi-story building with different uh, attractions and, and things to do, again, on a much smaller scale. But with a company like Disney, no good idea ever really dies. And so it's, it's interesting to see that now You know, Disney Quest is gone too. Who knows what's going to go in there? My guess is escape rooms. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Yeah. With Universal Studios and escape rooms, I think that building now it's the NBA experience. I think that building could very easily become an escape room. But again, you know, it's very interesting to see, you know, some of these ideas that don't get built because sometimes that's more interesting than even what does ultimately get built. Yeah. It's really interesting. Cause again, you know, I, you know, I'm always as a teacher, I'm always looking for kind of 
the lesson in these and the lesson kind of is again, you know, you might have ideas, you might think that you have a good idea and it might not work out and that's okay. You can move on and take that good idea that you had and develop it further and make a better idea. So, I mean, this is really cool to look at. It's always interesting to look at people's quote unquote failures because they can they can lead you to seeing how everybody makes you know, I don't want to say mistakes, but everyone fails and then people can kind of pick themselves up from that failure and make something even better than what they originally had thought possible. Just a quick little side note, you know, there's a lot of information in this and just, you know, thanks to allears.net, Disney fandom, uh, the National Park Service had a little mini article about um, the Lewis and Clark ride. Disney History Institute, I really would highly recommend if you, this is interesting to you. There's a whole bunch of articles written by Todd James Pierce that he did a whole series on it that I got a lot of really cool information from. So, yeah, check out those sources because that's where a lot of this information came from. Yeah, but that wraps up the show for this week. Next week, we're going to be discussing one of Disney Studios' biggest flops, John Carter. So if you want to watch it ahead of time, head over to Disney+. Plus. You Think can, of it like an easy book club. Yep. You can read the book, too, because I did that. So you can watch it. It's on Disney+. Plus. But next week, we're going to be kind of talking about why the movie failed. It's very interesting kind of history of the movie getting developed and some of the reasons why it failed. And we're going to be talking and discussing the movie, the plot, you know, what we thought about it. Uh, because spoiler, I didn't actually think it was that bad. I mean, I, it's not great, but I don't think it deserves to be known as probably one of the greatest flops and money losers of all time. And the book that it came from, by the way, is A Princess of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs. So if you wanted to try to read the book before then just to, and then watch the movie before that, that would be pretty cool. A little book club for us here. Uh, a little movie club as well. So, yeah. All right, but I want to thank everybody again for listening this week. If you've not done so, please subscribe, leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. It really helps, and we really appreciate it. Thanks for lending us your ears. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you here next Monday. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.